their moment in the sun, right? It comes, it goes. And even if it was brilliant and blinding, you know, sometimes it's very brief. Other times there are bands that are reliable over the course of much of your life, decades as a matter of fact. And the band we just started things with, Chemical Brothers, are another one of those bands. For more than 25 years, uh, Ed and Tom have been making really fantastic EDM dance music. And have they always been at the most extreme cutting edge? No. Have they probably been the most reliable stalwarts in dance, EDM, and electronic music for that time? Probably. And they've got a brand new 12-inch coming out tomorrow. Today is Friday, June 11th. Tomorrow is Saturday, June 12th. And it's one of dozens, nay, hundreds of releases that are part of this year's Record Store Day 2021, which is going to be a big focus of today's podcast. Hi, my name is Brian Oak, and it's episode 162. That is 162 times you and I have sat down together, Sean, to create, I don't know, you know, I still don't really know what the hell a podcast is. Memories, which isn't saying much because it memories. could be good memories, it could be bad memories, but we're creating memories. I didn't realize that we are now sponsored by Hallmark. Yes, we we're are. not technically, no. We're recording in the Smart Start MN studio, and we are sponsored by Smart Start MN. Our thanks to them, all of our Patreon members, and everybody who continues to listen, despite the fact that, as I wrote recently on a social media post, sometimes this podcast has moments that are genuinely profound. Other times, it's literally a piffle. It's usually because I'm ruining it. No, it's not true at all. I just, you know, not every time someone opens their mouth can things be profound and important, nor should they be. Sometimes it should just be a waste of time. Did, you, th- not- did you notice that I've been walking with like a little hop in my step? Like I heard little- I heard you had a metal snake put in your butt. I did. I have a squeaky clean colon. Well, and I'm just walking around. At least Paul free. Lighter. I don't know if it's squeaky clean. Because you didn't go to one of those professional enema places, but you did go get, was it your first ever colonoscopy? It was. I'm not even sure it was professional. It was kind of <laughs> in a weird location. It was in a van, and it was it was over on the West Bank. Guy seemed reputable. You know what? Only asked Half me for price. 40 bucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> These jackasses, though, I had to take all that prep stuff and i threw up about 15 times which i wasn't expecting and the nurse goes i go there's got to be a better way there's got to be a better way they to do need this. that colon clean look man if it's your job all day every day to be up people's hind ports it better be squeaky freaking but you clean. know what this you know what this nurse said she goes well i mean there is a new thing it's like a gel that you can eat instead of taking that other stuff that makes you throw up but it's like it's like 40 bucks I have 40 bucks. I said, excuse me? She goes, yeah, I mean, insurance doesn't cover it, and it's like 40 bucks. Well, and I'm like, again, I just threw up everything I've ever eaten in my life. I think my soul left my body, and she's like, yeah, 40 bucks. I am, um, you know, I know that, and you are doing better than I, because you're not even yet 50, right? It's on the horizon. Yeah, I had some medical concerns. So well, I, I mean, yeah. and I do too, yeah. and I well. just recently turned, settle down, I recently <laughs> turned 53, and <laughs> I'm supposed to have had the snake already and I haven't done it yet and yeah. I know I'm way overdue and it's important to do but I got to be honest part of it is 
the I, I lead a relatively busy lifestyle. For as much as I like to imagine myself a, a layabout and a ne'er-do-well, I, I actually am pretty busy. And it's hard to imagine for 48 hours not being able to be more than three feet from a toilet because I yeah. understand that happens. I haven't heard the vomit thing before. That must have been a drag because oh, puking, puking is terrible. I hated it. It's one of the worst feelings ever. I, I realized I hadn't puked since I quit drinking. Well, <laughs> congratulations. And now every time you want to have your butt looked at by a mechanical oh. snake, well, now you can get the gel. 40 yeah. bucks. 40 bucks for the gel. Yeah. I'm not sure wh- how the gel works, but I just, I'm taking the gel. <laughs> how am I going to do the gel? Look, man, if 40 <laughs> bucks is all it takes, not puke 15 times yeah. before you get your butt scoped. Yeah, I got to get my butt scoped too. Let's not think about that right now, no, man. Tomorrow, it's, it's already tomorrow. been a long week. Back at the radio gig has been fantastic, but getting used to 4 a.m. has been kind of a grind. And still doing this and still working at the record store. And I got to be honest, I love the record store I work at. When I realized I needed a part-time job a little over a year ago, I reached out to, and I've said this before on the podcast, I don't like to play favorites, but if I'm going to have to be there, if I'm going to have to be invested in the place that I'm at, I want to be as happy as possible, right? It seems logical. Well, and that's why I went back to Cities 97, right? I mean, I had another option and I decided this is a place I know, it's a place I love, et cetera, et cetera. And so I love the electric fetus. I love No Name Records. This town actually has an almost startling number of excellent record stores spread throughout. It it really is amazing. Agarda is good. Uh, there used to be, oh, I'm not going to think of its name now, the one that was over in North e- Northeast closed down now, three something. Um, I'm going to forget it. But this town is silly with excellent record stores. But in my humble opinion, the one that I was able to get a job at, thanks to the good people who work there, is the best record oh, store yeah. in town. When it comes to quantity and quality, there are places that have more. There are places that will charge you more. But it's it's to me, it's like working in a library, except for music heads. I love Mill City Sound. And today we are going to be checking in with the proprietor and also another member of Upper Management, uh, who's a good friend of mine and a lifelong drummer and musician who's also worked at more than a couple record stores. We're going to talk about Record Store Day just ahead. But before we get there, I want to play one more song. Song uh, by a uh, another well another thing that's coming out tomorrow. So here's the thing with Record Store Day. It used to be it was all on one day, right? And it was a freak show. And then of course we weren't allowed to go out and we're not allowed to hang out together. Last year they broke it into three days. It did diminish the freakish mob that shows up, but it also kind of diminishes the excitement. This year, because no one knew exactly where we were going to be, they broke it into two days. So it's tomorrow, June 12th, and then again next month on July 17th. And there's a lot of great stuff coming out. One of my favorite vocalists of the last 30 years, which is surprising because when it comes to female vocalists, I don't like the the real breathy baby doll yeah. voice. Like, yeah. Bah, bah, bah. Yeah. And when it comes to dudes, I don't really like the like scrapey, raspy, yeah. whatever. Mark Lanigan, however, of Screaming Trees fame is the exception. Screaming Trees were cool, but he mm-hmm. has had this incredible body of solo work. He's worked frequently with Josh Ami of Queens of the Stone Age. I love his voice. I love his songwriting. And he put out an EP a ways back prior to the release of what I consider his definitive solo album, Bubblegum, called Here Comes That Weird Chill. It was released as a 10-inch some time ago, but it's finally getting a proper 12-inch release, and it's one of the many cool releases that are coming out tomorrow as part of Record Store Day. We're going to go deep on Record Store Day coming up next, but first, Mark Lanigan, Methamphetamine Blues on The Brian Oak Show.
but they keep on rolling. I don't want to leave this heaven so soon. It may sound dirty and dark and glorious and appealing, but kids, stay in school. Don't do drugs. And if you're going to, just smoke a little weed. Stay away from meth. Walk a wide circle around that because, again, that was a, a very sort of enticing, dark, almost Tom Waitsian type drug fable there with the cool girl in the background saying, yeah. I'll do it, Daddy. No, it's not like that. No. It's nothing like that. Plus, most of your teeth will be gone by the time you're 35. Yes. Stay away from it. It is, that again, look at that. Cautionary tales, great music. What can't you expect from the Brian Oak Show? Episode 162, <laughs> it's supported by Smart Start MN. Speaking of staying in school, not doing drugs, not making bad choices, never drink and drive. If you do, the primary sponsor of our show can help. Smart Start MN, we just talked to Ed Cohen last time, yes. is a Min- Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. What that means is if you should drink and drive and get busted, let's hope you don't hurt yourself or hurt anybody else. And think about this, the best case scenario you can possibly hope for is to just get pulled over, spend the night in jail, and lose your license. That's the best case scenario, and you're going to lose that license whether you're found guilty or not. You need to get back into your vehicle. You need to drive again. These are the architects of Minnesota's original Ignition Interlock program, not carpetbaggers. They are us. They are from Minnesota, and they're the ones who put this whole thing together. Nobody knows it better than they do, and they have been ardent supporters of the Brian Oak Show podcast since before episode one. That's crazy. Isn't it? Yeah. It's a little weird, actually. Is this real life? They're very kind. They're very kind. They're also huge music fans and ardent supporters, but they also do provide a crucial service. Let's be honest. I doubt very very few people go out thinking, man, I'm going to get smashed up and drive all over tonight. But it still happens with alarming regularity. And as Ed pointed out last week, now with things suddenly within a really surprisingly short amount of time, masks are off, people are out, places are packed, things are crowded, it's all going on again, it means we're going to get back into that season. So if you need to get back into your vehicle because you've lost your license, nobody can help you better than our friends at Smart Start MN. Yeah, go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show. That'll get you an additional... 20% off the ignition interlock system. Before we get into record store day with two genuine experts, how long did it take for uh, your O-ring to snap back into shape? You know, it's still kind of working its way. Yeah? You know, you do the exercises, you do the PT afterwards. <laughs> you're, doing the, you're doing the snake kegels? Yeah, it's get worse it back than the Challenger disaster. I don't even know. <laughs> wow, you can't say that! <laughs> well, you said O-ring, and that's the first thing that... Well, I mean... There are O-rings on lawnmowers, man. I mean, we don't have to go... You went the nuclear option right there. That was Well, you got to go big. Today is Friday. It is June 11th. Regardless of when you're listening to it, the year is 2021. It'll be like a time capsule. Wow. Hundreds of years from now. Archaeologists will tune in. They'll be like... Is this really what the fuck they were doing in the <laughs> earliest part of the 21st century? Back Jesus when Christ. Podcasts. And, uh, podcasts? What sort of things were those? Well, there were a lot of white men back then <laughs> who had access to microphones. Anyway, today is June 11th. Tomorrow will be June 12th. It's the first of two installments this year of Record Store Day 2021. What is Record Store Day? Well, before we try to tackle that ridiculous question, let's go ahead and meet today's guest. One is Rob Sheely. Rob has spent years being an entrepreneur of, I don't know, 55? different businesses, Rob? I don't know how many you've done. There's a couple there. A couple in there. But these days, I 
know you, and I primarily know you, as the owner and runner of Mill City Sound and Hopkins, which before I was not saying simply because I work for you and to kiss your ass. The reason I reached out to you in the first place is because I do think it's the best record store in the Twin Cities. In terms of its quality, in terms of its quantity, in terms of the consistency of great new product in there, there's a reason that Mill City does as well as it does, despite being way out in the hinterlands like Hopkins. Yeah, it's it's a, yeah that fifteen minutes from downtown. It's a long ways out. And that was a joke because people are always like, "Well, I'm going to be coming all the way from New Hope." I mean, like it's like it's Hopkins, man. We're we're not in you know we're not in Little Canada. We're not we're not in Lakeville. Okay. Anyway, it's a great store, and you've been there for coming up on what seven years? Seven now? Seven years. And yep. it, it's it, so before we introduce Rick, I want to ask you. I mean. Obviously, you have a collection that you did not build in the last seven years. You have an incredible collection of records, and music's always been an important part of your life. You did audio for bands and things like that for many, many, many moons. But at what point did you decide, I mean, were you a small child? Were you a young man? At what point did you decide, (laughs) I freaking love records and I want all of them? Well, I I think, you know, we all go through phases. And when I was real little with this... um, you know, my dad was a uh, banjo player, and he uh, used to have country western 45s. And he, you know, and back then with this, I mean, records were really expensive. They were at least $3.95 or $4.95 a piece. Where are you supposed to come up with three ninety five? Well, I know. Well, back in, <laughs> back in the early 60s, that was kind of tough with yeah. that. But you could buy the 45 for, you know, about 79 cents. And uh, so he'd be, he'd he'd buy all these forty fives and come home and learn the songs and all that type of stuff. And when he was done, there'd be a pile of forty fives there. So when I was a little kid with this, I remember sitting down and I had a little tiny um, close and play record player that uh, my folks had gotten me and my brother and uh, playing these records with us. And um, and back then it was like I say, Flats and Scruggs and Johnny Cash and Loretta Lynn and. Um, George Jones and um, basically all the country western artists and, that were big in the '60s with us, and um, I really liked it. I mean, 45s to this day is what I mainly collect with us, and most of the people that know me know it's it's like, holy shit, you got twenty thousand 45s. I do, and the reason being I do is because it, there's something magical about that little tiny seven inch 45, but. Um, moving to junior high with this, all of a sudden I found out about rock and roll and, uh, you know, and, uh, rock was something that was just totally amazing. And, um, so literally every weekend I was spending my money going up and uh, going to discount records or uh, music land, which was in downtown Minneapolis mm. on, and, uh, uh, and literally going there and buying 45s and bringing them home and all that stuff. And I still have those 45s. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing with that. But And when you're talking about the early days, too, because 45s, I mean, it's, it's hard for people. I think perspective is important, and I yep. don't pretend to know all of it. Yep. But there was a time where 45s were the primary mode, right? Not unlike today when people go online. Oh, yeah. They pick a single and they make a playlist. Albums weren't really a thing until really the late 60s or the early 70s as far as like a, a genuinely and widely and commercially appreciated format. They certainly existed prior oh, yeah. to that, but it wasn't the thing. People went and bought the singles that they loved and the singles they heard on the radio. Totally. In fact, if you a lot of records in the 60s with this, the early stuff, you know, like even a Motown with this, they had one or two hits, which were the 45s that they spent all their time on and the rest of the stuff was fluff i mean they do covers they do all kinds of stuff they put it together really fast to sell the whole album with right. that. but the reality is that 
the hits, the 45, that's really what they were after with this. And if you look at, you know, even like radio, I mean, it's like AM radio, AM, AM radio was all about the hits. It wasn't until FM. Then all of a sudden we got these, you know, album oriented rock with this, where all of a sudden you started getting people that were playing more than just the hits off of the record. And then we're going back further. And then you had freeform radio, which right. was a brief period in the early seventies with that. But that I, I remember growing up hearing KQ back when I was very, very young and too really too young to appreciate what I was hearing and what was going on and be like, don't forget coming up tonight at midnight, the half album side, we're going to feature the <laughs> second side of Pink Floyd's dark side of the moon. And they, they would, they would sit back and obviously get roasted and go outside yeah. and blow a couple of J's <laughs> and play uh, an entire album side. But I mean, that was sort of the glory of FM when it came along, but music's always been part of it. Right. Yep. And you've yep. always been a collector. Yep. Yep. I want to bring into the conversation one Rick Mank. So Rick has been a musician has literally toured the world. Um, and you had your own band velvet crush. Uh, the Springfields, which frankly I think was a lot better. Uh, I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. Velvet Crush, though, probably your biggest solo claim to fame. Would you say that's fair? Mm, well, not solo, but uh, three well, of no, us. No, yeah. Obviously, the three for of you. Me, I mean, for my name, I'm, yes. But I mean, like, also, though, but like your bread and butter for a long time was being a drummer for Matthew Sweet. I mean, really, yeah. for what, 30 years? Inner, yes, those two things are the biggest things. Those are the I things in so my life. You yes. were a drummer, but throughout that entire time, because I hate to break it to people, but even if you're a successful musician who's toured the world, sometimes you're going to need additional income. You've worked at how many record stores? Would you say? Well, in your life? I've worked at three really great ones, including yeah. Mill City Sound. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you cool. think I overstated it when I said that? When I, when, I, when I tried to describe, so you and I work together there. We both work for Rob. We all work there, and everybody puts their time in, and people care. Um, and I got to be honest, I mean, like, I don't know that I know anybody. And I know a lot of people who love a lot of music. And I'm not trying to denigrate anyone. I'm not trying to start any beef. I don't know if I know anybody who knows as much about music as you do. And I say that in all sincerity and, and decency and humility. I, it's really true. But for me, it's a treasure, right? Like, how often am I picking your brain literally every day? And how often do I joke that, well, if you need me to let you know more about this artist, you let me know, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> but you, so you are a lifelong musician. You bring that to it. But you're, you're even longer, I think, more longer than you've played drums and longer than you've been a musician. You've been a music fan. When did you get the record bug? Uh, very early. Um, I, it's weird to say, but my father had multiple sclerosis. Mm -hmm. And when he first got sick, uh, I kind of... I was always a solitary kind of guy anyways, but that sort of drove me even deeper into myself. Uh, and um, at the same time, I discovered, you know, records. And um, at the time, you know, there was not that many places to get them where I lived, but I, you know, Salvation Armies, uh, St. Vincent de Paul's, thrift mm. stores, like uh, I started buying there. I started and then I, when I could drive, I started going to record stores as soon as I could drive or my friends could drive. I've been collecting since I was young, like Rob. So why do you think, and this this is always an interesting point to me, like, you know, people pay attention to music, right? And they listen and it would be like, okay, you started going to record stores. Why weren't you buying strictly the pop hits of the day? Because not everybody immediately says, I want to know about the past. I want to know about the weird stuff. I'm attracted to the obscure stuff. I I like the fact that this record store smells funny and it's got <laughs> records that I can't find at any other record yeah. store. Why do you think you went that direction and started started getting into not just alternative, but old antique stuff that nobody else really dug? Why did that appeal to you? I think 
uh, initially, first couple of years, I just loved the radio. Like I listened to the radio and what was on the radio. And, um, but I started seeing all these records just, and I, I just was curious, like, what are these? And at the time you could buy like records weren't that much. They were, they were pricey, but they, I could come home if I had 10 bucks, I could come home with like seven records. Um, so I would buy stuff that just looked interesting. Right. And also I started at the very same time reading some, like reading some of these rock history books and putting, putting the lineage of it all together. Like, you know, I, I started by liking the Beatles and the Stones, but Mm. then I was like, well, but they, you know, they listened to somebody who were they listening to? So I started going backwards like that. And then the other thing is I just never stopped. Like I just, I started when I was about nine or 10 buying records and I, I just never stopped. Well, the story's endless, right? I mean, so in addition to having the artifact, which I know you both love, and I'm also an addict for as well. I mean, I think that's why even when records went away, not one of us ever stopped collecting and not one of us ever lost interest. And I certainly never sold any of my old records because I never got into it for that reason. I'm never like, well, I got to get rid of these old pieces of garbage. I was never planning on getting rid of them, even for the years I didn't have a working turntable. And then to watch it come back is crazy. I want to talk about the resurgence and the continued surge, which seems to not be showing any signs of a proper plateau and record store day just ahead uh, and ask you guys both a couple more personal questions but we're going too long without hearing a song so i want to talk you know record store day as we mentioned is tomorrow the first installment of record store day is tomorrow and there's so much cool stuff coming out and as i look ahead everything we're playing today on the show is something that has to do with record store day now Rob, you are up because you have chosen something that is coming out by Steely Dan. Is this a reissue? Is this a special edition? Yeah, so the last two Steely Dan records that were released in the late 80s and 90s with us were never really released on vinyl in the U.S. with us. They were just CDs. Because Um, they were vinyl was dead by then, right? I mean, it, it, it died. And I remember how excited I was to start buying CDs. I think the first thing I ever bought on CD was Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. And I was so excited. I'm like, look at this. This is the future. It's a compact (laughs) disc. But it was over. And so there are things from that era, like people come into the shop all the time, like, hey, do you have this? Like, that maybe was never pressed on vinyl. So you're telling me this was never on vinyl before? This was never on vinyl in the U.S. with us. So these were both uh, these last two Steely Dan records. And Steely Dan's an interesting band with us. I mean, um, hate them, love them, whatever with us. But... um, very talented group, um, spent an awful lot of time perfecting the art of making records sound great. And um, what's interesting about as time has marched on, they've actually gotten more popular now than they've ever been. In fact, I tease people all the time with this because it seems literally every day we're selling a copy of Asia. And when we have it, because we never have it in stock, because yep. people won't stop buying it. Exactly. So um, the idea of uh, the label basically releasing these last two records, it's pretty amazing with this. And um, they, um, like I say, they're, they're, it's going to be probably one of the biggest titles that we sell tomorrow with that. In fact, uh, I'm pretty sure it will sell out probably immediately within the first hour. That's usually what happens on Record Store Day. By the way, for people who are paying attention, if you do listen to this tonight and you're heading down to Mill City tomorrow, 
We start handing out numbers at 7. Of course, you can get there as early as you want to yep. get yourself in line. We'll give out numbers at 7. Then you can go get coffee, grab yep. some breakfast. There's some great spots in Hopkins. And then come back. We'll open the doors at 9, and people can start attacking those records. Um, so in addition to the fact that Two Against Nature is going to be out there, also everything must go. Yep. Why did you pick this song? You told me there was something special oh, about Cousin Dupree. Cousin Dupree was um, um, that uh, that funny relative that everybody has <laughs> in their family with this that happens to, like, uh, other people in their family way too much. Oh, especially kids. Oh no! So and so and so and Uncle Dupree came out with this. I mean, it was it was um, yeah pretty controversial with that. I yeah. don't. I've never heard that story before. <laughs> yeah, and now was, I, everyone who comes up to the counter with a copy of Two Against Nature, I'm going to look at them and be like, really? Really? That's your <laughs> exactly. thing? Huh? Yeah. Okay. Here's Steely Dan on the Brian Oak Show.
For the first time on vinyl, coming out tomorrow on Record Store Day, Saturday, June 12th, the final two Steely Dan records. That's weird. They've never been on vinyl before. Never been before. Okay, well, and that's one of the uh, of the few things. I mean, there's so much coming out. You go to recordstoreday.com. You can find out. Now, there's a tremendously huge list, but you have to make sure and look when they're coming out because some coming out tomorrow, a good number of them, though, coming out on July 17th. And we'll talk more about Record Store Day in a minute because that whole, there's that whole notion of sort of creating false collectibles that may not be worth anything down the road and in the short term are very profitable and people like to profit on. But instead, I want to check in with my friend Sean right now, because Sean, we should mention you as a sponsor of the show as well. You are a realtor for Edina Realty, the 50th in France location. Yeah, and something I'm doing this year because of how hard uh, local musicians have been hit by the pandemic is I'm donating a portion of every sale to whether it's a buy or a sell uh, to a local artist or musician. And whoever the buyer or seller is, they get to they get to make the choice. So this Sunday... Uh, my uh, clients, Ken and Joan, who are old friends of mine, um, I'm taking them to see Dr. Mambo's Combo Ooh. at the Hook and Ladder. Uh, Julius Collins is an old friend of mine. Julius is the one they chose to donate to. Perfect. I and mean, so it's going to be a blast on Sunday night. Not only did they donate, but now as a gift, as a thank you to them for being a customer, uh, my wife and I are taking them to the show. So don't, you know, you can hire any realtor if you want to. You know, there's a lot of qualified people. There's also some dicks out there, let's be honest. What? Go, in with, realty? The guy, go with the guy that's going to take you to a concert and donate to a local artist or musician, for God's sake. 612-859-2594. That number is also textable. Our guests today are Rob Sheely, the proprietor of Mill City Sound Records. Rick Mank, who works there, also a lifelong musician, world-renowned, critically acclaimed drummer. 
uh, who finally, <laughs> after badgering him for a year, is putting his fucking drum kit back together. Oh, How's it coming? Have, have you hit it yet? Have you hit it yet? But are you working on it? I'm working up to it. Okay, good. <laughs> you, the, the only reason I'm pressuring you is because think about all the stuff you played on. Think about all the things you've done. Think about the joy it's brought you. You're going to get back there, but not until after we get through tomorrow because tomorrow is Record Store Day. So Record Store Day has been around for how long? Anybody know? Uh, it started in 2008. That recently, for uh, some reason. I was going to say yep. 20 years, but it's only been Yeah, 19. well, I mean, I guess, but still. So vinyl died, let's be honest, right? I mean, yep. And like, so, Rick, you worked out in L.A. at record stores for a long time. A lot of the record stores here never went away, but you said it kind of, like, died on the vine oh, out yeah. there, right? Yeah, it really did. I mean, it, it, like... It was every, over. Everything collapsed at a certain point. I don't remember exactly what year it was, but kind of, it was the whole business collapse well i mean when you talk about it, the margins weren't very high to begin with right and so you you suddenly uh, and you've got like your tower records there was no way a place like that or a music land or whatever was going to survive that sort of downturn right. in the market and that sort of change in the media but then it sort of started to come back and but, it, but let, let me let me tell you the rest of the story please would say thanks so, Paul come Harvey. in closer so come on so <laughs> Record Store Day, and what most people don't realize is there's three alliances. Um, these are these alliances are record stores belong to this group where they joint buy records and they joint promote records and they do stuff. and And there's three major ones. And um, 2007 uh, in Baltimore, they had a meeting, and they used to have these meetings where they were kind of talking about the future of the business and the future of record stores and all that type of stuff. and the three major uh, proprietors for uh, these alliances all got together and said, "We got to figure something out here. We got things are really tough. Things are really, really bad." And that was in two thousand seven. And um, and being, let's be clear. I, I want you to finish that story. But yep. to be clear, the ascendancies of compact disc. Yep. But really, it was the internet, right? It was right. it was file sharing, right. and it was the prolifer- proliferation. Right of essentially people just taking whatever music they yeah, wanted for yeah. free digitally that was really dooming vinyl as, yeah. as, as, and as a And I also medium. believe, uh, Brian, that like the price of CDs, DVDs, not really related but similar, they, they were just astronomical. Right. People were paying like 20 bucks mm-hmm. at, a, at a mall shop for a CD. Right. And it was just out of control, the prices. And so, so people thought, well, I'll just, now that it's on the internet, I'll just steal I this just, shit. It all collapsed finally. Yeah. The whole business collapsed. Right, and at the time with this, when you think when all this stuff was happening and with this, you had this thing called Napster, mm-hmm. and Napster was just killing everybody because Napster found it a very file sharing easy way to file to share a file, and to be able to allow people all over the world to be able to download any music that they wanted. Right, and the record stores were all in denial. I mean, I'm and they, the record labels record as well. Labels were in denial. Yep. Everybody was in denial. How bad napster was impacting the industry with mm-hmm. that and at that point in time with this um you know and it's interesting to think about that napster was founded by the same people that founded spotify just imagine that hmm. oh but was sean parker involved with it or was he gone already he was gone already okay am but, i gonna have to walk out of this room thinking that lars ulrich was right about something he was really right about something Shit. What do you think about that, Rick? <laughs> Who's this now? The drummer from Metallica. Exactly. He was the primary, most vocal propo- opponent of everything Napster was doing. Right. Metallica brought the freight 
first great lawsuit and public action against everyone's friends at Napster. And A, he's an untenable individual. I can't stand him. B, I understand one of your favorite drummers, but I also don't like his no, drumming style. No, he's not. <laughs> I can't no. help but do that to you. I know you're not a fan. But it turns out that he was the one who had the biggest platform to announce the loudest clarion call against file sharing, which, to be honest, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of record labels. I understand the record industry and the music industry is all this giant... What is, I forget even the, the Hunter S. Thompson quote about a giant, long, plastic money trough filled with blood where dogs run wild and good men go to die. Also, there's a negative side. It's something like that. <laughs> um, he, uh, but I mean, and so I don't. I didn't really lament their problems, but artists, I, you know, and still to this day, we haven't fixed it. Right? Spotify is not paying anybody what they're worth. No. But just abject stealing of art, I have never, ever once been a proponent mm. of ever. Yeah, well, if in in order for, uh, if art's free, nobody can make any money. And unfortunately, with this um, in music, um, music had been fairly profitable for both the musician and for the songwriter and for the label for quite a few years with this. But it was really the advent of file sharing that really kind of changed all that. And, and uh, just a side note with this, um, the thing that really made it possible for Spotify to exist was Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs, when he signed those first agreements with the record labels for them to be able to sell songs for 99 cents mm -hmm. and be able to download them, that changed the world. And he basically told the record labels, don't think about this as being your primary income. You don't need to get that kind of money with that. This is just going to be a sideline. Well, right. you get This is just <laughs> incremental income. You just come on board. Little did the record labels know that the agreement that they were signing would literally be the same agreement that everybody would follow years later with this for all this, uh, for all the streaming and for uh, file sharing with this and downloading. So if you think about kind of what happened, but going back to this basement in Baltimore in 2007, you had a whole bunch of people literally that were the primary people involved with the independent record stores in the country with this, in this basement, saying, what can we do? What can we do? And speaking of Metallica, Metallica offered to be able to do a concert. And they offered to kind of like be the ambassador for the very first uh, record store day. And they were going to come out with a whopping total of 10 custom releases specifically for this day. Mm-hmm. And originally when they did it, they were hoping it'd be a media event, meaning that they'd get local TV and radio and stuff to cover it. And Little attention. Like, hey, yeah, we're record stores. Come on out, see us, you know, all that type of stuff. And and at that point in time, it was brilliant. I mean, I've done lots and lots of businesses throughout my career with this, but I've never, ever, ever seen a promotion that's been as successful as Record Store Day. Well, and so I want to I want to bounce off that just a little bit because Record Store Day obviously has become a force of its own, even in the face of a pandemic. Splintered into yep. three last year, narrowed down to two this year. Very likely, next year we'll be back to the freak show that is Record Store Day, which is kind of fun because yep. there are some people who the only day they go to a record store is that day, but it brings new people out every year and it lets them know, oh, there are always records for sale. And so what I want to get to, I mean, so Rick, you've worked at record stores for how long? 
Uh, since I was young. Uh, All right. So I mean, decades. So you so you watched the original decline, and now you've seen the ascendancy. And you and I work together on the regular, right? And I, and Rob can attest to this as well. Not only did record stores, at least this record store, Mill City Sound, survive the pandemic. It literally thrived during the pandemic. People couldn't go out and spend money. People couldn't go out to see their shows, whatever. And so people, but people still need music. It's still our lifeblood. It's still our glue. It's still a passion, no matter what mood you might have. And it's still a fascinating exploration to have the artifact, to dig through it, to go to a record store and flip, 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 flip through the stacks. Sometimes you know exactly what you're looking for. Other times you're literally panning for gold, right? You have no idea What's blown my mind, and I already knew it was happening, but what's blown my mind in the year that I've worked at Mill City Sound has been not only, well, there's a couple facets of it, but A, I thought it's cool that vinyl back, vinyl's back, right? I mean, these kind of things happen all the time. For a while, people get back into old school things, old mediums become cool. It hasn't plateaued yet. It gets more and more popular every year, and... What's really thrilling to me is the number of, and I don't think it's just because they're trying to be the cool kids, the number of younger people who come into our store and the fact that they're willing to go over and instead of like spelunk through the used stuff, which some of them do, they head right over to the new section. They got no problem dropping twenty four ninety eight, thirty nine ninety eight on a brand new record. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's adding even more vitality to the industry. It's encouraging even more new artists to create vinyl and in greater quantities. And it just, it still continues to ascend. I mean, you've watched this happen. You, you saw the down and you saw the up. Why is it still so popular? Because it, it, it's beyond trendy at this point, right? There's something else there. What do you think the appeal is? I don't know the exact answer. Well, I don't think there is an exact I, answer. I what think, do you think it I is? I think that it's tactile. Like, you actually come away with something. Mm. An album is like a piece of art. A CD is as much as I like them. It's, a pl- it's plastic. Well, it's smaller, uh, too. The, the, yeah. the, the album art isn't as fun. It's like, it's like something you'd buy at the pharmacy, but an album is like a piece of art. It's big. You hold it in your hand. You can you stare at the cover. It's, it's, and, and also, and I think it's... And you have to it's, get up and flip it over. I also think it's going to the store is fun. Like, you mm-hmm. know, it's exciting when you're just walking up to the record store and walking in, and you never know what's going to happen once you get in the door. You know, you may go there with something, on, you know, I'm going to buy this. And you may walk out with 10 other things, you know? And I think kids, they just seem to, they're into it, you know? Maybe maybe some of them it's a trendy thing, but it seems like it's deeper than that to well, me. Well, see, my, my, my parents had records, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, there was always nostalgia. I stole a bunch of their records when I left home. <laughs> I never sold them, but I always kept buying records. And even when records were at their nadir, right? When they were down at the lowest point, no one's buying them. There were still lots of record stores in town. You know, you mentioned something to me the other day at work, Rick, where you're like, you know, in L.A., a lot of these places died. Yeah. But he, and you mentioned your surprise that for a market the size of not to go strictly demographics, but for a market the size of the Twin Cities, the number of vibrant record stores that never went away. It's pretty surprising. Yeah, I moved here four years ago. And the first thing I did was do the tour, you know, went to every store I could go to. And I was shocked at um, the amount of stores, first of all for the size of the city, but also the, the vinyl, like it was like uh, another, I'm tour all the time and I go to other places. There's like one record store in a town, you know, they got some fairly decent vinyl, but not really, but here uh, everywhere, vinyl everywhere. It was like, 
And I thought, like, it, it never died here. It never really it went never away. It never went away. And so one of the great things you talk about to me, what I think is one of the most important parts of the ritual, because I, my personal belief is the reason vinyl not only survived a complete change in the structure of music distribution and the nature of our culture, and now is not only enjoying sort of a trendy little reboot, but really enjoying a proper resurgence that has not yet peaked I mean, we, I, how many turntables do we sell every goddamn day? I, it's nuts. And so the, for me, it is ritual, right? You talk about the artifact. You talk about having a thing to hold. You talk about a thing of a certain size, reading liner notes, flipping it around, holding it in your hand, the ritual of having to flip it over on the t- turntable. But the, the ritual of the hunting and gathering, right? Like going in, never knowing Exactly what you might find. And sometimes you go in, you don't even think about it. You're like, well, maybe there's a cool poster. Maybe there's some buttons. Maybe I'm going to walk out of here with 25 records, you know, that are used and shitty and scratched, but it's still going to be fun to go home and listen to them. I made a point from when she was young uh, of indoctrinating my daughter. You know, the, you're mm-hmm. talking about that that downtime when there were no records or record stores didn't really go away, but it was not the time bringing her through. And I'm like, no, this is fun. Just flip through and take a look. You know, and then she'd bring me over and be like, Dad, look at this, you know, and she'd take me over to the section where it's a record by Goat Whore, because that was funny. But, um, <laughs> but you know what? It was still getting her into the space of we are going to flip through. There is an, there's a sense of adventure. There is a sense of satisfaction when you bag your catch, when you walk up. Um, and I, here, I'll tell you, before we sort of get to wrapping things up, but I also want to hear your selection, Rick, is... When I was a kid, I, there were some really cool record stores, but they were way cooler than I was. I was coming down from the suburbs to downtown, like to Northern Lights, and I wasn't cool enough to be in there. And nine times out of ten, they were very cool to me. But every once in a while, you ran into record store guy, right? Like, uh, you still listening to these guys? Like, yeah, you still working for $3 an hour? Okay, settle down, jackass. <laughs> but mo- for the most part, they were cool. One of the things I love about Mill City is at no point will anyone that you... doesn't matter what you buy. We can't keep ABBA in stock, right, That's Rob? right. That's and right. Van Halen. There are certain bands we cannot keep in the store, and no one behind the counter is ever going to laugh at you... No judgment. ...for buying yeah. an ABBA record. or a, Why would we have it for sale if we thought you shouldn't buy it? As long as people love music, as long as people are celebrating this culture, as long as this remains as important to you as it does to us, nobody's ever going to judge you for anything you buy yeah, in there. It's art. It's art. It's well, it, not everybody likes the same thing. Thank God. Yeah, and that's then, what makes it such a fun store. And and what's what's interesting, and this is the weird thing that you know that to, I picked up on after seven years, and that is is that this next generation of people that are buying music. I grew up listening to a specific radio station that had specific songs, mm-hmm. had specific genres and specific things. So if I listen to this, this is what I bought, mm-hmm. you know, and, but you've got a generation of youth. It's all about the internet. So, and it's all about movies. It's all about pop culture. It's it all about anything. all this stuff. And because of that, they're just as likely to buy a Creedence Clearwater record along with a, um, uh, Brianna record, or they'll basically, in essence, they don't necessarily have the little guidelines or little genres that they stay within. They go all over the place. The other thing this. that's interesting that you mentioned earlier, Rob, was a band like Steely Dan. I mean, like bands who are have longevity, they go through some periods of maybe where they're not hip or whatever. 
David like, Bowie, Prince, many, well, many. Grateful uh, Dead is the ultimate example. They were everyone just used to, unless you were Deadhead, just no, they're the worst group ever. But <laughs> now all the indie kids and just yeah. everyone loves the Dead. Another and, band we cannot keep in stock yeah, at so the store. I, you can't keep a Grateful that's Dead. That's a great record thing about. I mean, the young people like they they come at the music differently. You know, like Kelly yep. uh, comes at certain he plays certain records and he just thinks it's awesome and i know like oh when this came out people hated it right you know but he doesn't hear it with those ears he hears it with a younger person's ears agreed wholeheartedly speaking of record stores and record store day um we're going to talk a little bit more about record store day before we wrap up finally but rick i also asked you to pick a, a song and earlier when i said that i don't know anybody who knows more about music than you i wasn't kissing your butt because lord knows that day's never coming i was being sincere <laughs> and we are friends and i i've never been one of those cool guys at a record store who's like oh yeah i knew that oh yeah that's the thing i love love learning things that i didn't know before um to me that's the whole bit yes. always learning that like you said growing up learning the connective tissue i mean you're a published author you you also enjoy the research and you do some deep digging now the band you've chosen all i, I know two things actually i know one and a half things I think they're from the UK, and I believe they fall under the category of freak beat. Yes. That's literally all I know about this band. So tell me about the band and why you chose this song. Very quickly, they're just uh, around at the same time as The Who, The Kinks, Mm. The Move, uh, say, 66, 67, 68. Um, They were great band, but they were one of those bands that just, for whatever reason, it never happened for them. Now... In retrospect now, you know, because people have to put a genre tag on things. Of course people have identified their music as, as freak beat, which is kind of a mixture of, or it's kind of a, a mixture of beat music, beat group music, like the Beatles and the Stones. But right. it's also, they've, they're progressing into the psychedelic era. So it's, a, it's freakier. It's a little weirder and um, not quite as, as uh, strict as, as some of that early beat pop stuff why this song uh i it's just a great example of it's very heavy rock it's i think it's from 68 maybe or 67 it's very heavy for the time uh it's also very melodic and these guys were just a great band everything they did basically was great but they you know they just never made it and it's being issued tomorrow during record yes, store the day. stereo versions of all these songs which have been unavailable forever on vinyl are finally going to be available That's what the release is tomorrow, the stereo versions of all their stuff. Here's the creation on The Brian Oak Show.
stereo version out on vinyl tomorrow for the first time in a very long time as part of Record Store Day. RecordStoreDay.com is where you want to go to get a full list of everything that's coming out for Record Store Day this year. A reminder that it's happening in two installments. It's going to be happening tomorrow, Friday, or pardon me, Saturday, June 12th, then again on Saturday, July 17th. And I imagine by next year, things will have settled down enough unless there's some sort of new Ebola outbreak that we'll be able to do it all on one day and get back to the madness and sort of the festive festive nature of Record Store Day being on one day, which I'm not mad about. I mean, it was always chaos. I've been to Mill City plenty of times. (laughs) That's where we would usually start our, our caravan across the Twin Cities where the line was literally around the block. But, you know, there's a lot of cool things that come out on that day. Let me ask you both real quick, and I want the short version of your answers on this because we have a few other things to get to before we wrap up. Record Store Day is a weird thing. It's I, A, I think it's glorious because even in a town like this where record stores never really went away, it has reminded people why we do record stores. Why, yes, of course you can go on Amazon and order them, but the, the supporting the mom and pop brick and mortar places, right? This is important, but also there's something about Record Store Day where some of the, the diehards, the true believers believe that we're creating fake collectibles. Where does your heart lie with Record Store Day, so- Rob? So, so the idea is, and we have to go back to the early days, the 2007, 2008, when they were talking about this, the idea was, um, and Billy Fields, who was the vinyl record, um, guru for Warner brothers, mm-hmm. um, him and I talked about a long time ago with this, we were talking about it and he says, the goal that the record label was trying to do was they were trying to find anything they could do that could help bring traffic to the store. It wasn't about trying to create this collectible that was worth a thousand dollars or whatever with this. It was just about trying to create something a little bit cool. And you got to remember for the record label to go out on their own. Originally, they weren't thinking about making money at this because they're only printing a thousand of them. It's not like they're making 10,000, 20,000 records. And when you look at their margins and their budgets, record store day is a piffle. It's It's, nothing. It's nothing. Right. What they were trying to do is they were trying to create something special for the stores. That's really what it was all about. Unfortunately, what's happened is is that you've got a lot of people that um, in this, um, what I'm going to call this uh, eBay marketplace and all this other stuff that we live in that have said, oh, geez, if I can find some of these uh, short-run records, I can sell them for a gazillion dollars afterwards. And Mercenaries. Exactly. And that and that really became, became the thing with this. But getting back to this, the idea of creating this wasn't to create a collectible. It was trying to create something that would allow people to be excited about the idea of coming out and trying to find one of those. It wasn't about the money. And it, it's, and it's, it also blew up. I mean, it it started as a teeny little thing, and it's blown up into enormous thing where there's thousands of releases, and so um, they're trying to keep the concept the same, but, you know, when something becomes enormous and there's only a limited amount of records, you know... It's kind of like like South by Southwest or Sundance Film Festival, right? Like early on, these started as small things to promote Mm -hmm. underground things, and maybe once in a while, one or two big names would jump in, but it became its own force of nature, yeah. and then suddenly you have 
everybody wanting to have special edition releases or, you know, for the first time ever. So not just cool weirdo things or fringe things or indie bands who've never had a colored vinyl release before. You've got major, major players wanting to get it on record store day. And again, not because they're making money. I think there's a lot of true believers in this culture out there. Yeah. And and I think, you know, the whole thing is think about it this way with this. And the end of 2020, there were a little over 1,800 independent record stores in North America. When you do a release that has 1,200 pieces, hmm. you can't even get one to each store. No. Well, and that, and it, so that's the blessing and the curse, right? Like, I mean, I know how the ordering goes. We've tried to yeah. order as many copies <laughs> of the cool things we could, uh, but we're, we're not going to have everything. So, again, to remind people for Mill City Sound, uh, if you're listening tonight, tomorrow morning, you can get there as early as you want to get in line to get your number. Uh, numbers will start at 7 o'clock, but you have to get in line before that if it really matters to you. And doors will open at 9. But as we end here, again, talking to Rob Sheely and Rick Mank, uh, both of Mill City Sound, we've obviously given a lot of attention to that store. But I think all three of us believe yeah. to a person it's important to reference how rich this town is right. in music love and incredible record stores. And I mean, obviously, I think Electric Fetus is mm-hmm. one that a lot of people think of off the top of their head. But there are smaller places that are record stores mixed with a hair salon, like our good friend Clifford That's over right. at High Five Records. Roadrunner. Right. I love Roadrunner. Roadrunner's <laughs> been around so long and is always... I. Barely Brothers, another yeah, phenomenal great store. store. And, yeah. and like I say, in St. Paul with this. The, the thing about Minneapolis, St. Paul with this is that they're all good. Yeah. I mean, they're literally all good. In fact, Everyone has their strengths, right? Exactly. And tomorrow, it's not about visiting one store. It's visit a bunch of them. Yeah. You know, when I worked with Jill for those years at The Current, that was our bit. We mm-hmm. started yep. at your store yep. because it was the furthest west that we wanted to start. But then we literally made our way through down in the valley. And we did go to Solid State. And we did. I mean, we went to all as many record stores as we could. By the time we got to Barely Brothers... You know, it was usually 5 p.m., and I love shopping for records as much as anyone. But after about 10 hours, I'm kind of done, and usually out of money as well. So tomorrow, if you can't make it to Mill City Sound, no problem. They are open six days a week, and they always have a great selection. Tomorrow is going to be fun, though. And if you are going to be heading out, don't forget, there are literally dozens of incredible record stores in this community. And if you can't make it out tomorrow, well, July 17th, that's going to be phase two. All those details available at Record Store Day. Dot com. Gentlemen, I know I wasn't at work work today, but I did actually do two other jobs today. So, <laughs> yeah, that's right, Rick. I work. I'm on my grind. You know, you talk about how there's no judgment at Mill City Sound. You talk about this. Yesterday, I spent over $50 on a Megan the Stallion and Cardi B single, and I felt a little judged, to be honest. A little bit. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> that's not judgment. That's just no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you both for coming in. I really appreciate it. And I, I, I relish our friendship and I relish the time we've spent together. And tomorrow, Record Store Day, it should be another mind bender. Because especially now, no masks. Everybody's having fun. I have a feeling people are going to be out in force tomorrow. And thank God we're not doing it outside. Because, oh, man, I'm so tired of this weather. Uh, gentlemen, thank you both very thank much. Thank you much. Thanks, thanks Brian. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Thanks Bye. to Smart Start MN. Thank you, Sean Bernard. Thank you, Brian. Uh, thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Thank
thanks to AudioQuip. They're the ones who provide us with this equipment. And now that people are getting back out, whether you are doing a bizarro acoustic side project at a local pizzeria or you're doing a TED Talk at a major university, an accredited university, they've got the musical and audio equipment that you need to be able to do the things you want to do. AudioQuip, the Minnesota version, because there are some other interlopers there as well. Make sure you look them up because Sean and I agreed a long time ago we're not ever working with actual assholes ever, and they are absolutely not assholes. Not at all. That seems like a good tagline. It does. Audio not quip. Assholes. We're not assholes. <laughs> all right, I'm going to wrap things up with one last release that's coming out tomorrow. The cool thing about Record Store Day is everybody's in on the bit, right? I mean, you get those black metal bands whose whose logo is so arcane you can't quite tell what the name of the band is, and then you get cool old school stuff. You get some big names that you've heard of, and then you also get some of that quiet plaintive, beautiful, bluegrass loveliness. In this case, Texas singer-songwriter Sarah Jarose. She is a member of I'm With Her, so she's worked with other big names in the biz. She's worked with the members of Nickel Creek with Chris Thiele. She first started with mandolin. She moved on to guitar. She has this wonderful voice and this understated quality, and there are so many of those types of singer-songwriters that at some point it starts to feel like it might be getting a little trite. But there's something about her voice that is always entertaining to me. It's warm, it's welcoming, and here, this is something coming out on 12 Inch tomorrow. She'll be doing uh, this, releasing this cover of her take on a U2 classic. So we're going to wrap things up with Sarah Jarose on The Brian Oak Show. Come. 